Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. I don't see Glenn in here yet. I am, I am grateful to him for that lesson this morning. I think you see, we'll see after we conclude this study today that his message and the message we'll look at in Colossians chapter 1 fit together like a hand in a glove. They're both about Jesus Christ. Our lesson today, I've entitled it, The Preeminence of of Christ. And it begins in Colossians 1 verse 15. We'll look at these few verses as we go through. But first I want to ask one or two of you or three or four or whatever to give me a quick one or two word definition of the word preeminence. What does that mean when you think of that word? What comes to mind? First place. Yes, sir, Fred. Above all things. things. Others. Superior. Superior, yes. And we could come up with a lot of others, but so we could, I think, just as easily say that this lesson is about the superior Jesus Christ or it's about the greatness of Jesus Christ or it's about him being first place first in rank number one uh, and a variety of other things but uh, one of the things that I think brought this to mind Paul is the false teaching that was going on there in the uh, city of Colossae And apparently, this heresy that was there, or was about to be there, uh, it is argued as to whether it was there or soon to be there, but at any rate, part of it, uh, no doubt, attacked the very nature of Jesus Christ, his divinity and and who he was. So we're going to be looking at various roles and descriptive terms of Jesus Christ. And when when we go through these... I would ask you to think in terms of uh, what this particular characteristic or role of Jesus Christ uh, means to me individually. You might remember from the uh, introductory lesson uh, when I uh, introduced the book a while back and we looked at it together. Uh, This, I stated, was the ultimate purpose, I believe, of the book of Colossians was to talk about and show that Jesus is supreme, superior, and he is all-sufficient. So that is, to my mind at least, a major theme for the book, and perhaps it might be argued that it's the major theme of the whole New Testament or the whole Bible. Uh, And I think just like those passages in 
Isaiah that uh, Glenn brought to us. I think this is also another one of those very profound and beautiful passages uh, that we read about Jesus Christ. And what we will do uh, before, uh, is look at those things, but before we do, I want to remind you of something we uh, looked at last week. Verse uh, 12 of Colossians 1 uh, talks about God the Father has qualified us to do certain things. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance. Uh, and that word qualified just means he made us sufficient, he made us suitable, he made us fit uh, to receive the inheritance. And he uses four terms there uh, that are a part of the process that he used to qualify us. Uh, <clears throat> he says that he translated us or conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, out of darkness and into the kingdom of his son, and that <clears throat> we have received redemption and forgiveness. And uh, in all of these things, uh, I would suggest, particularly in light of this title I've chosen, the all-sufficient Jesus Christ, that what Christ did, God did through Christ, is that he also took those of us who were unsuitable and he made us sufficient. So I would suggest to think about is that the all-sufficient one, Jesus, made us sufficient where we stand today. We stand before God. And what this lesson, I think, is in very much about is relationships. Relationships that relate directly to Jesus Christ. Jesus, another word uh, that we use, or the word with preeminence that we use along with others, uh, I think it can be demonstrated by relationships. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the relationship between Christians, to our relationship to other Christians. And we only have that, of course, because of our relationship to Christ in verses 12 through 14. But then he goes on in the verses we'll be looking at to mention three other very important relationships. First of all, he talks about Christ's relationship to God, and that's uh, particularly outlined in verse 15. Then he talks about uh, his relationship, Christ's relationship to creation, and that's found in verses 15 through 17. And then he talks about Christ's relationship to mankind and particularly to the church in verses 21 to 23. Now I think you'll notice as we go through these that there is some overlap uh, in terms of the terminology that's used in the verses, uh, but uh, I think these four relationships, I think you'll see that they stand out. So really, I used the term before Christology. What we're talking about is the Christology of relationships, how Christ affects the relationships that are a part of our lives as Christians. And I think that uh, relationships are a vital part of Christology, the study of Christ, if you will, the study of his nature, the study of his characteristics. And the question 
I ask, I ask myself is, do I, do we have any role in revealing and manifesting and showing to others this, uh, uh, these relationships that we're going to be looking at? And if so, how can I do that? What's, what's my role in sharing the various roles and relationships of Jesus Christ with others? Well, one passage that came to my mind, at least, is 2 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verses, beginning at verse 17. A familiar passage, I think. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed uh, to us the, ver- the word of reconciliation. I think the succeeding verses after verse 17 tell us why we are new, why God, through Christ, made us a new creation. He's reconciled us, and so he turns then to us and said, here is for you the ministry of reconciliation, or another way you might think of it is here is the ministry of relationships. Because reconciliation really is about relationships. And again, I think we need to ask ourselves, uh, is this something that I can do? Is this something I should do? And I think surely we have to answer that by saying yes. And the way that I think that we understand that we do that is that we have to reflect those same kind of relationships that are modeled by Jesus Christ to others. We have to manifest him to the world. So let's talk about these relationships. The first one uh, that uh, we read about is in uh, this passage. It begins in this uh, passage in 15 through 23. And uh, as I mentioned, I think it's a very profound and powerful statement about Jesus Christ and his nature and what he does particularly. And I want you to notice, I want to point out to you the little expression, he is. If you look in verse 15, verse 17, and twice in verse 18, the expression, he is, is found there. And if you look at the origin of those words, it's not a great deal different from the words that were spoken in Exodus 3 and the words spoken several times in John, the seven great I am's, the I am statements in the Bible. It is in effect saying, he is, he exists now in the past and forever into the future, he is God. So it begins by saying several and several different ways that Jesus is God. And we're going to look at some of those expressions. The first one that's used there is he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
So this is one of the relationships, a description of the relationship that Jesus has with God the Father. He is the image, he's the very expression, the very likeness of God the Father. That word image could mean an idol, it could mean uh, a physical description of someone, but here along with that little word or big word, invisible, it's very clear it's not talking about a physical appearance, but rather a spiritual appearance. So Christ is the very spiritual essence, image, likeness, if you will, of God the Father. And that expression, firstborn of all creation, doesn't mean as some people have, and it seems to me almost a silly view, but some people have said, well, that means that he's just our older brother. He's the firstborn. But that expression or that word firstborn is used in a couple of ways. One obviously is the firstborn child, but it more often is used in terms of referring to rank. He is the first. He is the superior one. He is the one who precedes all. Uh, Also, Jesus uh, is, uh, as we know, is referred to uh, and others as well as the firstborn. Uh, Jesus is also called the uh, highly esteemed or the highly or the loved one of Jesus, of, uh, of the Father. But that terminology was also used to refer to the nation of Israel as well. They were God's, the object of God's love. But that term just simply means that Jesus has preeminence. He is the firstborn over all the world. And we remember from Genesis 1 that uh, God created Adam, man, to be in his likeness. Now, there are many ways that man is like God, and even more so in the beginning. But then Jesus is more than Adam. He is more than us in terms of his relationship to God, to being an image of God. Adam is a physical image and in some ways reflective of God. Jesus is far more. He is the spiritual reflection of all that's God. The second he is, that's used there, he is the firstborn over all creation. Now there, that he that's used there is referring back to verse 13 where it talks about the son of his love, God's son whom he loves. He's the firstborn because he outranks, because he's preeminent, not because of uh, being first in birth order. Now I want you to notice that verse 16 there begins with the little word for. And that's a signal that says the things that follow are the reason that Jesus is the firstborn. And I've listed those here on this slide. Notice, if you will, he is the firstborn over all creation because of him all things were created. And that little preposition that's used there by could also be in 
in him the very domain, the sphere in which all things were created was in Christ. We're created through him. And there the preposition refers to the agency of creation. It is through the agency of Jesus Christ that we were created. All things were created. We're created for him. And there, that word, that preposition has more to do with goal or purpose. God's goal and purpose in, our, in creating us is for Jesus Christ. So Christ is both the agency of creation, he's the author of creation, and he's the goal or the objective of creation. As we read the Bible story, that's, more, that's very obvious to us by the time we get to the end, that he is the goal of, of creation as well. The fourth thing there is uh, that in uh, he uh, is his relationship to creation is that in heaven that on earth he created all things visible and invisible, and of course the visible means the things that we look around and see around us. Uh, the invisible probably refers to the spiritual realm, uh, and so. He has created, he was involved in creating all of those things. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, there is no authority above that of the authority that rests in Jesus Christ. Remember Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me, Jesus' expression. The fifth thing there is he is before all things and other expression of he is and that simply refers to the fact that he pre-existed and it literally means in front of all things and the sixth thing that's there in, in him all things consist in verse 17 and that again refers to the sphere of the domain in which things consist uh, and in effect is saying he is as in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he upholds all things. Everything is held together. Everything operates. Everything is controlled in our universe by the power of Jesus Christ. We consist. We exist. We move and have our being in Jesus Christ by him. So that relationship that Jesus has to creation is important to us and I would suggest two or three reasons that's the case. If we look at Jesus we can know a lot about God of course and his creative power. If we look at Jesus and what he's created we can understand the world and its destiny and we can understand our role as uh, stewards of creation uh, in that as well. So one thing that I think perhaps most, if not all of us realize, is that God's creative work did not end. Christ's creative work did not end when he created the heavens and earth. So a question for you is do you think of some ways 
that Christ continued to create after all things physical, after the universe. Does anything come to mind? Yes, Fred. A new creation. Yep. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. So he creates new creatures. Anything else come to mind with respect to a continuing role of creation of Jesus Christ? The soul? Yes. Yeah, every time there is a new soul coming into the world, it comes from God the Father who created it. Yes, Cindy. Right, yeah. That continuing sustenance, sustaining of the world. Yes, sir, Brother Glenn. Glenn points out that in this term, in him all things consist, God created laws of nature, laws of science, laws that control things that happen all the time. The weather, uh, just one example of that, and on and on. So we are sustained. Seed bears fruit, and it gives us food. Uh, because of the laws that God has set in place. Do you think of other ways that Christ, that God continues to create? A clean heart? Yes. Yes. We are born again. Created anew. A new creature. Other things come to mind. I'm going to have to move closer, Jenny. I'm sorry. <laughs> it says his blessings are new every day. Yeah, new every morning. That's right. His blessings are new every morning. Again, that part of his substance, his provision for us. Sustenance, I should say. God still creates the person. Uh, our bodies are made naturally by natural means, but the person is created by God. Yes, the person, the soul. Yeah, the mind, the personality, yeah. Uh, I think of one other that <clears throat> hadn't been mentioned yet, and that's Ephesians 2 and verse 10. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So 
our purpose is God has created us. He prepared us. His object in creating us is so that we would do good works. This is some sense of his relationship to creation. There's also these passages here, which, which uh, most of which we've already mentioned. Then there is his relationship to the church. And here there are several things. Again, there are a total of eight things. Four of them are shown on this slide. But in looking at the relationship of Christ to the church, uh, this we should think in terms of as being having great significance for us. This is the relationship that we are directly involved in with Jesus Christ. He's the head of the body, the church, the first one that's listed there. Again, that he is expression. God is the head of the church. God, the son. His relationship to the church is described in a lot of different ways in Scripture. Uh, There's the term, he's the builder of the church, he's the owner of the church, he's the purchaser, he's the foundation, he's the head, he's the savior, and you could probably think of other terms as well that describe this relationship that's all captured in his relationships with us as a part of his body. But we all understand in in very basic terms that the body doesn't operate without the head. And here, uh, that is, it's interesting that it is the first in the list. Whether that was God's plan or not, I don't know, but it is kind of interesting. The second thing that he mentions there, he is the firstborn He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, another use of that term firstborn. And again, it has that same meaning. He's not the first in the line because Lazarus was resurrected before Jesus was and the prophets raised others and so on. But he is the preeminent. He is the number one in rank of those who have been raised from the dead. He holds the highest position of honor He's supreme. Uh, And of course, it's only because of his resurrection that we have any hope of being resurrected ourselves. The third thing that's mentioned there as a part of this relationship is that in all things, he may have the preeminence. So this is the reason that he's the, the head, the firstborn, that he might have the preeminence. That is, he is superior over death. We know that he uh, has all rule and authority over life, death, and the judgment. The fourth thing that's mentioned there is is this relationship was put in place because it pleased the Father. And the word that's used there is again the idea of explanation because it pleased the Father. He did these things. He created him, uh, he, he gave him the role, rather, as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. 
And he gave him the role of the preeminent, the first, the one of first rank. And there are four other things that are also given here that define the relationship of Jesus Christ to the church. Uh, he is all the fullness of God. Uh, all of it dwells in him. And that word fullness simply means deity, divinity, all the nature, all aspects of God are in Christ as well. Uh, he's described in various ways in, in Scripture. He's full of grace and truth. Uh, and he, in, in this context of talking about him and his superior, supreme, preeminent nature, it is in contrast to what these people were hearing in this false teaching that suggested that uh, Jesus Christ was perhaps something less than God. But like God, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's all-loving. And then he mentions the sixth thing there. And this is one that uh, Glenn talked about in his sermon, basically. Being a peacemaker through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace. So he is the great reconciler. He is the great peacemaker. And one, at least my favorite definition of the word peace is, has to do with harmonized relationships. So Jesus is the peacemaker. He's the one that brings us into harmony with God, to brings us, brings us into harmony with one another, uh, brings us into harmony with our, with, uh, in dealing with our sins and cleansing our hearts with his blood. The seventh thing that he mentions there, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So we, they, the Colossians, were formerly enemies, being outside of Christ, aliens uh, to the body, aliens to God, in need of this reconciliation uh, that's spoken of there. Uh, <clears throat> and the eighth thing that he mentions there is, again, a purpose uh, in what uh, Jesus was doing and establishing this relationship so that he could present you, us, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And that word present has some interesting things wrapped up in it. It uh, carries the idea of standing beside for the purpose of presenting, to show, to commend, uh, to stand before. And I tried to imagine, what would it be like to stand at judgment and have Jesus stand beside me and say, Father, here is one of mine, and he is holy and blameless because of my blood. Here is my blood for him. To be able to imagine that happening to us. And then Jesus sitting on the throne of judgment and saying to us, enter in because I have brought you as a holy and blameless one. 
And of course, we know that these terms, holy, blameless, talk about purity in the sense of morality, conduct, and blameless carries the idea of not being able to be held accountable or blamed for anything because all of the blame, all of the guilt has been taken away. Now, in order to give some emphasis to this, I, look, I tried to look at it another way. I think there is embedded in these passages, besides the relationship thing, I think there's another way to look at it, and that is in terms of the works of Christ. And here we're talking about two different roles, Christ's role or comparing two roles of Christ. One of them is his role in creation, and the other is his role in redemption. Notice the chart, if you would. In these terms, I've highlighted the ones in each column. He is the image of the invisible God. In redemption, he, made, he is the head of the body, and he is, by virtue of being head of the body, the church is in his image, according to Colossians 3 and verse 10. He is the firstborn over all creation, in creation. And in redemption, he's the firstborn from the dead. In creation, in him and for him, for for the purpose of him, all things were created. Then in verse 19, in redemption, in him, the fullness of God dwells. It is only God who can redeem us. And Christ is God. In creation, through him, all things were created. In redemption, through him, all things are reconciled. So all of these things that describe relationships can also be thought of describing the roles that Jesus uh, fills in our lives, in, in the kingdom, in creation in the world. There are several scriptures that came to mind that relate to this and uh, want to just mention those briefly to you. One of them I already mentioned, Colossians 3 and verse 10, it talks about putting on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we were created anew in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and it is according to, it is in the image of Christ. And then Romans 12 and verse 2, a very familiar passage to us. We do no longer be conformed to the world, but be transformed by a renewed mind. We are recreated. We are made anew. Also, in continuing this parallel look at his role in creation and redemption, we can see these things as well. He is before all things, and there there's a double emphasis on his deity. He is, that refers to the fact that he is God, and before is pre-existence. So God is the only thing, the only one that pre-existed. He is before all things. In redemption, in verse 20, 
all things were made at peace before him. In verse, then in creation, all things consist or are held together by him, in him. Then in redemption, in verse 21, all are reconciled to him by his death to be together with him uh, in death to sin. And I mentioned Genesis 1, referred to the creation of, of Adam and Eve. At that time, man was created holy and blameless uh, without sin in God's image. Then in verse 22, in speaking of redemption, Jesus' purpose is to present us as holy and blameless in His very image, and we will be totally created in His image, transformed into His image in eternity. Not that we'll be God, but we'll be like the perfect man, Jesus Christ, totally pure, free of sin, And again, two ways of looking at these passages to think in terms of the roles or the relationships that Jesus Christ has established. But I think these, to me, I guess personally, the roles or or the relationships rather may be the most useful way to think about it. I want to just say a little bit more about verse 23. In that verse, Jesus is spoken of as presenting us as holy and blameless, uh, without reproach before the Father. And it gives some things there that are conditional. He will do this if. If you look at verse 23, you see some four conditional statements there. What do you see there in terms of conditions that we have to satisfy in order for him to be to present us holy and blameless? Verse 23. Being in the faith. Yes. So the first thing is we have to be in it and it carries the idea of continuing. It's in the present tense means that it continues on. If we, do, we have to continue in the faith, not just be there occasionally. What else? I'd, is, this, is this the one you referred to, grounded in the faith? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that carries the idea, has kind of connected to a firm foundation. We have to stay on and continue with that firm foundation that we have built our lives on. What else do you see there? Other conditions necessary. Steadfast, yes. Steadfast. Steadfast in service to Jesus Christ. Uh, Immovable. Firmly planted. Like a tree. Can't be moved. And it's of course used in that metaphorical sense of being established 
firmly on a foundation, immovable. There's one more there. Not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Uh, It's interesting the way this verse is written. That little article, the, is used in connection with the faith, the hope, and the gospel. The article, the, identifies something unique, does it not? There's only one of each. There's only one faith. There's only one hope. There's only one gospel. And again, the idea of not being moved is, carries with it the idea of continuity. So all of these things are conditions that we need to satisfy to stay in this relationship that's spoken of of Christ with the church. I have one final question to ask. Why in the world would anyone not be willing to follow and obey someone who satisfies all of these conditions? And it's stated quite clearly, I think, in these verses. He is the perfect manifestation, revelation, image, essence, if you will, of God. But he was also lived as the perfect manifestation of man, what we should be, what we should become. And all of these relationships are defined by him and through him and because of him. He's the source or the reason for all creation. Why would we not be willing to serve one who has done so much for us? He's preeminent. He's supreme. And he's the one who made us sufficient. He took an unsuitable person such as I and made me fit, made me suitable uh, for the hope that is given to all of us. Next week, we'll look at these verses. Just a few short verses. We're plotting our way through chapter 1. It'll pick up a little bit after that. Paul's labor for Christ, and I've shown on this various tools that we use in work of various kinds, and that's with a malice of forethought, if you will, to illustrate to us that there is work, there is labor, and we have to use the tools that we've been given. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for blessing us with all of these wonderful relationships that we enjoy and understand because of Christ. The relationship that we have with one another especially is so meaningful to us. Relationship that we have with our Savior. Relationship we have with you. And to understand it and to know the depth, we're grateful that all of this has been revealed. Help us, Father, to reflect the image of Christ in our lives to others round about us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here, and I hope you all have a blessed and happy holiday. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, 
Please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.